Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. The grace of God is one of the major things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion is built on a work base trying to please some deity and make sure they are happy with you at the end of the day. Even within religions that are coming underneath the umbrella of Christianity, say Mormonism, Catholicism, and many of those others, they, they have this idea of, of, yes, God's love and grace, yet it comes with works. But in the Christianity that we understand, what is taught biblically throughout this Bible that we read is the grace of God is unmerited, undeserved, and unearned, and it's offered for all. And of all people that experience it, probably the most firsthand is this guy Peter, who writes this book that we've been studying for, I guess it's been 12 weeks. I think it's, this might be week, is this really week 12 or is it like week 13? And I know the series is titled, We Can't Stop, Won't Stop, Will We Stop Today? Um, But Peter experienced the love and grace of Jesus in ways that he didn't even know he would. You see, Peter understood that he did not deserve God's grace. Even the first time he met Jesus, Peter says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, saw what Jesus did, Peter had been out fishing. This is the first time they really met, been out fishing. Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side. Peter does that. He pulls the nets in, and they're overflowing with fish. He goes onto the shore with Jesus. And this is what Peter says in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, saw all the fish that he was just blessed with, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Just that point where, where we realize I don't deserve this. And then we fast forward a little bit in Peter's life. We come to this moment where Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Some say you're this other prophet. And Jesus says, but who do you say? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And and Jesus says to him, Peter, you are right. God has revealed this to you. And then just a few moments later, Jesus tells the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to go and I'm going to die for everybody. And Peter, feeling pretty good about himself because he's God's spokesperson, apparently. How many of you have ever had that moment where you're feeling sort of confident in who you are and what you've already done? You just sort of go, you're like, I could do that. And then you total fail. Anybody ever do that? Just me? Okay, thanks. Um, I love when I ask, and none of you are willing to, hey, this is a vulnerable church. This is a perfect place for imperfect people. So Peter would have fit right in. Peter, he he just says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, great job, Peter. Then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, you're not. And then that next moment, Jesus says, Peter, the devil is using your mouth. Fast forward a little bit farther. Peter is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and only two other disciples get chosen to go with Jesus. Peter sees this moment. Jesus is all shiny. And then Peter wakes up or whatever, and he says, God, we need to build each of them. Jesus is up there shiny with Elijah and Moses. 
And Peter says, we should build you tabernacles. And Peter, and God speaks to Peter and says, pretty much, Peter, stop talking, please. Fast forward a little bit. Peter now is in the garden with Jesus. Jesus asks Peter and two disciples, he says, please pray. Jesus goes away to pray. He comes back, they're sleeping. He wakes them up. Hey, can you guys not stay awake for a little bit? He, they go away, he comes back. Jesus goes away, he says, pray now. You need it. He, Jesus goes, comes back, they're sleeping again. Three times they go and come back, they're sleeping. That's, I mean, talk, talk can you, you, you're getting this like, this feeling of Peter just making a lot of mistakes. And then these, this army comes into the garden. Peter's been sleeping, and I, I picture Peter sort of woken up, like you don't really know what you're doing. This army's coming in. Anybody ever do that? Your kids wake up in the middle of the night, they come in, and you're like, what do you want? And your kids, they don't come to my side of the bed because I'm not nice. My wife is nice. And I don't know if Peter's like still in that groggy mode. It doesn't matter. He grabs the sword. The army's coming, grabs the sword, cuts off a guy's ear. Then Peter, just a few hours later from that, Jesus had already told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to totally mess up. Peter says, no, I'm not. Well, then just a few hours after he cuts off a dude's ear and Jesus heals it, Peter goes and this person says, aren't you one of his followers? Peter says, no. And then somebody else says, aren't you one of his followers? Peter says, no. Somebody says, aren't you one of his followers? Peter says, cusses the guy out, says some inappropriate words. We don't know what they are. Peter says, no again. And then he runs. And then it, 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 gets, it gets worse. Then Peter, Jesus had told them to just wait, wait, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to rise again. The disciples go, well, what should we do? And Peter says, let's go fishing. Let's go back to our old way of living. So he goes, Jesus shows up on shore. Peter sees, right, realizes it's actually, John realizes it's Jesus. Peter just jumps in the water, goes to Jesus. And then there on that shore, Jesus forgives him. And empowers him. And then we go into the book of Acts. Peter preaches the gospel. He's being used by Jesus. And over 3,000 come to know the Lord in one moment. So is it after that forgiveness that all of a sudden Peter becomes not relatable to us? No. Then you read the book of Galatians. And this guy named Paul has to front... Peter, confront Peter, because in, in one crowd, Peter is living one way of life in front of Gentiles, and all of a sudden, as soon as, like, the important people come, Peter ditches you losers, and he goes over to, like, the really important people. He's like, hey, guys, how are you? Oh, yeah, I don't eat with them. I don't hang out with them. That was just, like, I was charity work, you know. I was, like, volunteering at the homeless shelter. That's what I was doing. But really, I was waiting for you guys to come. And Paul goes, what the... For reals? I think Peter is one of the easiest people to relate to in the Bible because he had good days and then he'd have a whole bunch of bad days. And then he'd have a good day, or actually not even a day, a moment. Because in the same day, he's proclaiming things that God's speaking through him and in the same moment, he's yelling at his kids that morning. But what Peter knew and what Peter understood was the grace of God. Peter understood that grace that radically changed his life. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because one thing about grace, 
is many of us only experience a small little bit of it. It's like a little kid who gets so comfortable in the Baja step in a pool. You ever seen those kids? And they don't want to swim. They don't want to jump off. They don't want to go into the deeper parts because it's scary. Or they can't see or they don't know. And so they stay in the comfortable areas of whatever that might be. And some of us, that's sort of how we are when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We don't want to grow too much. We're happy with our toe in the water, but we don't realize there's an ocean full of grace. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Dive deep into the grace of God, and you will find no end to its depth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that this morning we would experience your grace in a very special way. Lord, I pray that your word as it is read and taught, God, that we would see how much grace you have. And Lord, realizing it was written from a man who, Lord, he experienced your grace over and over and over again. May we realize, Lord, that your grace is the same for us. So Jesus, whether we're here or online this morning, speak to our hearts. Lord, may your word of grace be taught throughout the valley this morning, whether people are at Calvary Community Church, Valley Life Tremano, Community Life Church, or here at City View. God, may your grace encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 is where we're picking up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And as you guys are turning there, either in your phones or on your, in your Bibles, I, I have a request. So we have been offered an opportunity to feed the 9-10 Greenway High School football team every Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night, they're going to be here on our cramp campus, about 68 boys. And I'm going to say most of them probably don't know Jesus yet. And they just need good food. So here's what I ask. If you would like to help us provide food for them, like hamburgers and hot dogs, like good food, I want them to go back to the varsity team, which my son's on, and be like, our food's better than your food. That's what I want. I want varsity to be jealous of what you provide for them. So if you would like to help with that, hamburgers, hot dogs, if you want to smoke meat, like next week, and I'm going to smoke a bunch of meat for them the following Tuesday. If you want to help me with that, we have a grill here. We've got a kitchen here. I've got one person signed up so far. We have, I think, eight, eight different Tuesdays. So if you'd like to help, we'd love to have you as part of that team. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him, to God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This book of First Peter is soaked in the grace of God. As Peter was wrapping up this letter, he is helping them understand that the sufferings that we go through in life has a time limit. This church, this church um, that Peter is writing to in the, in the area of Asia near Rome, there's tons of persecution happening to the church, and they're experiencing great suffering. And he wants to encourage them. So through each part of this letter, as we've been reading it, he's been encouraging them with the suffering. And now he gives them this, this final encouragement. After you have suffered for a little while... The God of all grace, 
At times, as we're going through trials and sufferings, have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt like, God, are you, are you still there? Do you not notice that I'm going through this? I thought that this is, I thought that I'm your kid. Yesterday, my son was texting me, um, and he knows all the different things that, as, as a family, we've been going through, like, my Scion needed work. We put a ton of money into that. Then my Yukon's been in the shop three different times. Um, and then yesterday, our AC went out. And then last night here at church, our car wouldn't start. And my son texts me and he said, he said something about, is, why is God letting this happen? Now, this suffering that we're going through is not going to lie, it's pretty easy suffering. Because my friend Ron Miller, who's going to be coming in a couple of weeks, who ministers in Thailand and Myanmar and Laos and Vietnam, he'll tell us about suffering. Not to belittle, because when you suffer, you suffer, and it, it stinks no matter what. Whether it's your car breaking down in the middle of the hot, whether it's your AC breaking, like you're like, this stinks. Now, I don't know that this is biblical suffering. It's just life suffering. But Peter is reminding them and us that these things have an end date. That suffering is temporary. Now, the end of suffering might happen when you are in heaven. That might be the end. Like you die, you have uh, uh, some kind of illness or something and you die and your suffering ends then. Sometimes it might happen the following week. It might happen months or years later. But what Peter says is suffering is not eternal. Suffering is not forever. He says, but what you do have is you have all of God's grace and all in God's great grace through these trials and sufferings, this is what God does, Peter says. He says, God perfects you. This word perfects us means he prepares and equips our, he equips us, he mends and restores us. Remember, Peter is a fisherman. And after each time he would take those nets out, he would take the nets back in, he would mend and fix them. And that's what God does to us. When, when God, with God's amazing grace, he perfects, he mends us, and he fixes us. In God's great grace, he confirms us, meaning he supports and he makes you not shaken. He gives you a firm stay so that you don't totter. God confirms you in his great grace. He wants to make sure that when the storms do come, you stand Strong, but that's only in his grace. In your strength, you will get knocked over. In his strength, you will be confirmed. God strengthens you, meaning he makes you spiritually strong. God wants to empower you and give you what you need for each and every day. And then God establishes you, meaning he grounds you and gives you a firm foundation. But that's all in God's grace. A commentator by the name of Bengal, he writes this in early writings. He, he interprets it in his own, language, in his own um, way. He says, God shall perfect that no defect shall remain in you. He shall establish that nothing may shake you. 
and he shall strengthen that you may overcome every adverse force. That's in the grace of God. And then Peter continues, he says in verse 12, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is Babylon, meaning this other church who is in this region, that's the church he's calling a she, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark, which is probably referring to the guy who wrote the book of Mark. Many think, if you know the, the Bible, there's a guy in, in, the, in the Bible when he's in the garden, I believe it's in the book of Mark, where he's spying on the garden when all the people are around and they're going to take Jesus captive. And there's a guy that runs away naked. Do you remember that story? Some of you, maybe you do, some of you don't. Many believe that was actually Mark. He was wearing a towel or a robe at night and he's sneaking, being a little kid, a you know, 12, 15-year-old kid wanting to see what's happening, what's all the scuttle about. And he, you, know, you know when kids do that and he's probably in something and they take it and he runs away naked. This, it's that Mark. He says, Peter says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So Peter, as Peter writes through Silvanus, Peter sends his friend Silvanus with this letter. He says, this is a dear friend of mine. And then Peter says, please, as I'm writing this letter, he goes, this is what I'm hoping you get out of this letter. I'm exhorting, I'm exhorting and testifying that this in this letter is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. As I read this the past few weeks, I thought if, if this is the true grace of God, then there must be a false grace. And as I thought about it, I think many of us struggle under the false grace still. I think many of us feel the pressure of false grace. Maybe it's from past church experience. Maybe it's from the grace we were shown in a home under Christian parents that called themselves Christians. Maybe it's in a religion that we were raised in as kids, but we have this misunderstanding of what grace is. And as I started thinking about what what would that false grace be? And there's so many more things that we could probably list. I just listed a few. I think false grace is judgmental. I think false grace is selfish. False grace is conditional. False grace is dependent upon your works and what you do. How good you are. Whether or not you woke up in the morning and read your Bible, whether or not God would give you grace that day, whether or not you prayed enough that day, whether or not you were nice enough that day, whether or not you loved your kids enough, like that kind of conditional, dependent on you, false grace. I think false grace comes empty. False grace leaves you bankrupt. False grace takes. And false grace falls short of filling your needs. I think if you've ever been in a home or in a church where you feel like you can never 
do enough to make God happy with you, that's a false grace. But Peter wants them to understand true grace. And he has been writing this throughout his entire letter. In these five short chapters, this short letter that Peter writes, he uses the word grace ten different times. In the Bible, the word grace is referred to over 250 times. And the first time the word grace is used is when Noah is there and the world is evil and God looks upon the world and he sees Noah and it says, and the Lord felt grace or had grace or offered grace for him. Or it says, and Noah found grace before the Lord. I want to now take us through this true grace in Peter's letter. Because I think for us to really experience the love of God, for us to really get through each and every day, for us to be able to live the life that we want to live, we can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it knowing the grace of God. Because it's the grace of God that gives us power to live. It's also the grace of God that allows us to experience the forgiveness we need when we make those mistakes. Because as Peter wrote, and as we saw in Peter's life, he was full of good days and bad ones. So the first time Peter mentions grace is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And Peter writes, According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The first thing Peter wants us to see about grace is he wants us to experience grace to the fullest measure. Peter wants us to experience the fullness of grace which comes with peace. I think many of us, we only experience tastes of grace, moments of it, because we still live under false grace. We live under this idea that, that God is just waiting for us to make a mistake. We live under this idea that God is a judgmental. He just wants to, he's just waiting to pounce. He's waiting to drive that gavel. He's waiting to point a finger. That's a false grace. And Peter says, I want you to experience the fullness of this love and grace to the fullest measure. This overflowing, this, this abundance in the grace of God. Peter wants us to experience it. Here's what I hope. I hope that you guys dive into the grace of God. You will find no end to its depth. I'm going to give you some ways of how to do that in just a little bit. Then Peter, the next time he writes about the grace of God, is found in verse 10 of chapter 1. As to this salvation, which was given by grace, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. This grace that we are experiencing because of the death of Jesus on the cross was prophesied over six. Peter says in two more verses, verse 12, I believe it is, that 
the angels long to look, meaning they are confused about this love and grace that God has for us. They're looking at, they're looking at, at you and me going, God, why would you offer them grace? It makes no sense. They mess up all the time. But you still want to die for them and you still want to love them and you still want to offer them grace? And the prophets are studying it. They're, they're pouring over it. They're looking at everything that has been written from the moment of the beginning from when, when Moses wrote the first few books of the Bible. And they're looking at this grace that God has, this, this time that, where he's going to send a Savior to the world to save all mankind. The prophets are studying and diving over it, and they're writing about this forgiveness of God. And Peter says, this grace has been proclaimed for thousands of years. And then we come to verse 13 of chapter 1. Peter writes, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on grace. And I think that's where many of us, we struggle. I think we fix our hope on on many other things in life. And and then when they let you down, you you easily get frustrated. You fix your hope on maybe a career and then you get let go. You fix your hope on a marriage and then it doesn't work out. You fix your hope on your kids and then all of a sudden your kids don't turn out how you hoped they would. You you fix your hope on on some person and all of a sudden they let you down. You you fix your hope on money and your, your finances and then all of a sudden the market crashes. You fix your hope on a vehicle and all of a sudden that vehicle is trashed. You, we fix our hope on so many things. Peter says, fix your hope on the grace of Jesus. On his willingness to love, strengthen, establish, confirm, and help you live. Fix your hope on that. Then Peter writes in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker. If you want to know more about this passage, I'm not diving deep, you're going to have to go back and listen to this section. Okay? I think it's on YouTube and on our Facebook page. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So Peter here is, he's writing specifically to the husbands, but he's writing about something that we all can have, and it's this grace of life, which is an inheritance. You know, and there are different things. We, we, we can think of maybe inheritance, like my dad has this 65 Chevelle, and because I went to Cleveland and helped him drive it back, I get it no matter what my other siblings think. It's part of my inheritance. And I look forward to it, and he's fixing it up for me. It's so nice of him. I'll farm out my kids. They'll be there. But, like, I, I know that. But the thing is, like, my dad's having to fix it. It's broken. But this grace of life, this eternal life, this inheritance that we get, it's, it's something that it, we don't have to wait to get. It's something that we can live right now. 
we get to experience this grace of life, this, this life of forgiveness, this, this life of love, this, this life of God helping us each and every day, this life where the Holy Spirit is, is guiding us. We get to experience this grace of life right now. And then Peter writes in verse 10 of chapter 4. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as a manifold, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This means the multifaceted, the multicolored grace of God. You see, as we serve and love one another, God's grace is seen through you in a way that it can't be seen through me. How God wants to love people through you is going to look different than how he loves people through me. How God wants to love people through you is going to look different through how he does it through me. But how he does it is through, through serving one another. And as we serve one another, God's grace, this multifaceted, this multicolored grace is seen as we love others. And so when we sit and don't do that, when we are absent and not here, God's grace that he wants to shine through you doesn't get seen. But God wants to use you to to show his gracious love to others. Whether it's through a hello, whether it's through a hug, whether it's through a let me help you with your kids, whether it's through let me help you find a seat, whether it's through a cup of coffee, a song being sang. Like if you're a musician and you're sitting here and you have musical talent, don't sit on it. You're like, well, they have enough people. Adri right here, this our girl singer, she's the only one right now. That's it. And if God has gifted you in some way, I don't know, you all, you all have different gifts. God, through your life, shows his grace through it. And Peter is, is encouraging the church that he says, as you serve one another, the, multi, the manifold, the multifaceted grace of God shines through you. And then verse 5 of chapter five. Peter says, you young men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. He doesn't sell it. He doesn't trade it. But he gives it. And he gives it to those with a humble heart. And I think as Peter writes this, Peter experienced this kind of grace over and over and over again. Because if you remember, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, good job, Peter. Peter's feeling pretty good. And the next moment, Peter says, Jesus, you're not going to die. And he wrecks. 
One moment he's defending Jesus in the garden, the next moment he's running for his life. One moment he's leading the disciples to the Lord, the next moment he's leading them back to their old way of life. One moment he's preaching to a crowd of thousands, the next moment he's embarrassed of those very ones that gave their life. Peter understood this. He understood, I want to be as humble like, as I can because at that lowly state is when I experienced the most amount of grace. God isn't asking us to be strong. He's not asking us to prove anything to anybody. He's not asking us to try to live some life that is unattainable. He's asking us to be real in his grace, his freedom. In his grace is where we'll find love. In his grace is where we will experience this, this love that Jesus has. And Peter saw how important it was to be humble. In his older state now, he is encouraging the younger, man, be humble because it pays off. Understand this great grace of God because it's so much better than you could ever imagine or think. Dive into this great grace because it's so worth it. There's no end to its depth. And that's what brings us back to 1 Peter, this, this final section here where Peter says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I have regarded him, I am writing to you briefly to exhort and to testify that this is the true grace, the undeserved grace, the undeserved love, the undeserved favor, the undeserved forgiveness of God. He says, stand firm in it. There's nothing else to stand firm in. This is the only thing. We, we stand firm in our opinions. How many of you ever have stood firm in your opinion about something? And nobody's going to knock you down, even though you know you're wrong. Anybody ever done that before? And you know it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. You ever done that? All the time? And how many of you ever got knocked off of that? You thought... Why did I ever make it such a big deal? Anybody ever? Yeah, me too. But Peter says, stand firm in the grace of God. She who is in Babylon, meaning your sister church, the churches in our valley, chosen together with you, send you greetings, and so does my son Mark. And he says, greet one another with kissing. I, I don't really want to encourage, this is cultural, there are times in the Bible that are like for right now that are all over. And there are certain times where we just don't do it anymore. In, in the Middle Eastern culture, they would kiss each other on the cheek, you know. We don't do that in our culture. So don't, dudes, younger ones, don't go around youth group or high school and say, hey, I learned this at church today. I'm supposed to kiss you. Peter says, peace be to you all who are in Christ. He says, stand firm in this true grace. Be rooted in this grace. Be surrounded by this grace. Let it pour in you so that this grace might pour out of you. He wants 
every reader of this letter to see the true grace of God. Because when you dive into the grace of God, you will find no end to its depth. So how do we experience this grace, the depths of this grace? I think the first is to receive salvation. If you've never come to that moment in your life where you have surrendered and said, God, I want to follow you with my life, if you've never done that, that's step one to experiencing grace. That's the first out the gate. Number two is if you believe in Jesus as your Savior and you've not been baptized, that's the second step of experiencing God's grace. Experiencing that renewal and that freshness of realizing you're forgiven and you've been set apart and, and God has, has freed you. It's, it's that sim- symbolism of, of you dying and then you coming back to life. That's what baptism is. It's symbolic of when you go in the water, the old you is dead. When you come out of the water, it's a new you. It's, a, it's an experience of grace. How do you experience God's grace? You read, when you read it in his word, his word drips with grace. How do you experience God's grace? Spending time in prayer. Man, for me, what helps me is when I pray out loud, when I read his word out loud. I don't know what it is with praying out loud and reading his word out loud, but I am brought to tears almost every time because I think, who am I that gets to talk to the God of the world? You might be totally, we're all different, but for me, I experience his grace. Experience his grace by serving others. Man, you, you, when you serve other people and you give somebody grace because they're late, but then they give you that same grace back, that's grace. Through worship and song. When you actually pay attention to the words you're singing, there's power in that. When you seek forgiveness from somebody, when you know you've hurt them, and you receive grace from them. And then when you offer forgiveness to somebody who doesn't deserve it, that's experiencing the grace of God. The grace of God is endless. It's for all people. And we have the opportunity to share it with every person we come in contact with. So why did we go through this book? Because God's grace needs to be seen across the world. So we can't stop sharing it. We won't stop sharing it. Because our world is in desperate need of a savior. And you have that message of hope. So take it, share it, dive into that grace. And man, you'll experience more than you'll ever know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask, God, that we would experience your grace in a special way today. God, may we not live under false grace, thinking we have to prove anything to you, 
but Lord, may we live knowing that you are a great God of love and forgiveness who died for us knowing that we are a hot mess of people. And you died, Jesus, to set us free. And I think, I think there's, there's some people in this room that maybe today you need to receive that forgiveness that Jesus offers. That you might be called a child of God. That you might be set free to live under grace, not under judgment. To live under grace, not under condemnation. To live under grace, not under guilt and shame. And if that's you today, I ask that you pray with me right now. Not that my words have any magic or I know the right thing to say. I just understand that for some of you, you might, not that you even have to have the right words. I'm just gonna guide you. Say, God, I need your forgiveness. And God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. And I ask you now to help me live for you. Lord, set me free. And God, I pray that I would live under your grace every single day. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. In your name. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.